song? Okay, there we go. Well, hi, I'm Matt. This is my wife, Melissa. Our daughter, McKinley, who is two months old today, um, is with her folks. You guys can be seated. You don't have to stand for this. Uh, she is with uh, Melissa's folks. Um, here, come over a little bit, I guess. I'm getting waved over. Okay, I'm new to this stage. I've got to figure out where I need to stand. Is that good right there? Okay, great. Um, uh, so our daughter, McKinley, is with uh, her folks who are watching her so that we can kind of just be here. Um, if you see Melissa run out the back, though, you'll know that it's not because she doesn't like you guys. Okay? We have just a two-month-old baby. So I think you can probably have a seat. You don't have to stand up here anymore. Thanks, Melissa. All right, well, um, you guys have probably read the bio, but I'll just kind of give a heads up for those of you who haven't read it, just so you know a little bit about us. Um, my name's Matt. I grew up in Colorado Springs, just south of here, um, in the evangelical Mecca, um, because that's where every Christian goes, every Christian Christ at a young age, and always just remember going to church. My parents got saved in the Jesus movement in Southern California, so they brought us to church, um, and, and I accepted Christ. I thought, oh, th- this is great. Um, Grew up, and I actually felt the call to be a preacher when I was 13. I'll talk about that a little bit later in my message. And um, just learned and grew that way when I went to Colorado State University. I Melissa. She grew up in Moab, Utah, but she's not a Mormon. That's a question we always seem to get. Um, and we met at Colorado State University. We were both involved with the worship band there. She was a vocalist. I was actually a drummer at the time. And um, met there, fell in love. And I definitely got the better <laughs> side of that deal. Um, we moved down um, to Denver. Melissa taught for a few years, and I went to Denver Seminary. And then we got called unexpectedly to Nebraska. Never thought I would be living in Nebraska, but uh, just got called by a small Baptist church there in a small town of 1,700, which had fewer students than my high school in Colorado Springs. So that was a little bit uh, change, getting used to a town of that size. And I think it's going to be another adjustment moving back into the city. <laughs> There's more than 1,700 people probably in the square mile, I think, right? So it's great to be here among you. I'll tell you more about myself as we go. And you can always ask questions Tuesday night. That's the Q&A time. That's Q&A time so you can ask almost any question. Okay. And I am a Broncos fan. I know some people were worried about that. But I'm a Broncos fan. So you can vote me in next week, right? <laughs> No, well, it's, it's so good to be here among you. I'm going to be just preaching a message from just one and a half verses, okay? So if you have a Bible with you, you can pull that out, or you can take out your smartphone or tablet, whatever you got, or I'm also going to have it on the screen. Okay? It's going to be really easy. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So I remember, as I said, growing up in a Christian home, going to church, I felt pretty early that I was advanced and had graduated beyond the basics of the faith. Has anybody felt that way? I'm too mature to go over these basics again and again, hearing this gospel message preached again and again. It's time for some real meat and potatoes. Has anybody ever been there? Thought, I'm too mature for this. I I want more. I want more in-depth theology. Ooh, when the pastor says a Greek word, you say, oh, that's interesting. There's an archaeological insight you've never noticed before. Ooh, that's what I wanted. I didn't want this basic, simple stuff. And I think that's a a trap that we can all fall into as Christians because we forget or or maybe we never even knew what the most important part of our faith is. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, the crux of it all, what's at the very center of our faith. Um, Have you ever packed 
and you were trying to pack up, and you maybe you were going on a, on a trip, like like we were coming here, and you didn't know what to bring, so you brought everything. Have you done that? Okay, traveling with a, a brand new baby on our first trip, we brought everything. Okay, the entire car was packed. There wasn't a square inch. We had suitcases. She had two suitcases just for her stuff. Okay, then we had the, the bouncy seat stuffed in there and tried to fit it in there. And we had all the binkies, all the towels, all the blankets, everything you could ever want because we had no idea what we'd need, right? I think sometimes we do that with our faith. We take all these bits of theology and we have 66 books of the Bible. Okay, we've got to fit Malachi and we have all this theology, all this different stuff, and we don't know what the most important part is. Okay, and, and I'm sure after this trip we're going to realize, oh, we needed that. Why didn't we bring it? And there's going to be other things like, why did we bring that? Okay? And I think what happens using this same, same illustration is you get in the car and Melissa and I are driving away. Okay, did we get the monitor? Did we get this, this? And then we're like, uh-oh, we forgot the baby. You know, that's what basically happens in our faith. We forget the baby. We forget the most important thing. That's what we're talking about today. What's at the center of it all? What's the crux of our faith, the crux of our lives, the crux of our church? So that's why I think this verse is so important. So I just want to read this to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in the second half of verse 1, where it says, When I came to you, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That verse 2 is, is so important here to my message. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This passage is, of course, the, who he is as a preacher, who he is as, a, as the center of his faith and what he does in ministry. I remember the very first time I read this, I, I think I was either in fifth or sixth grade, but I remember because we had to study 1 Corinthians for a Bible quiz at the time. And I remember coming to this verse, studying it, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And do you know what I thought? you know what I'm talking about? How dull. Is that all Paul talked about? Jesus Christ and him crucified? How boring. I mean, we've all heard boring preachers, right? I think I had one at the time and I was like, man, the same message every week about Jesus Christ and him crucified? The crucifixion every week? Oh my gosh. What a boring preacher. That was my initial thought as a 5th and 6th grader. And in fact, I thought that for a long time. And it was reinforced as I read the story about Eutychus some years later. You heard of this story in Acts 20? Paul was preaching for hours and hours. And I'll pick it up in verse 9. It says, Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Okay, Paul literally preached people to death because he was so boring on and on. And the story goes on, of course, that Paul goes to him and he's like, oh, no, he's still alive and he was still alive. And then Paul preached on for another few hours. That's what it says. And I thought, wow, Paul must have been so boring preaching the same message over and over and over and over again. Can't we move beyond that? Can't we be a little more mature and graduate from this gospel message? Can't we move on to something better? So that's what I thought for a while. But then I, I read an interesting thing, because as you read through the New Testament, especially I remember reading Romans, for the first time really looking at it when I was in the beginning of college, and I thought, whoa, this is powerful, in-depth stuff. I don't even understand half of this stuff. This is way beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? This is not boring. 
This is going to take me a lifetime to figure out what this one book reads. And then you read First and Second Timothy, you read Colossians. How do these all come from such a boring preacher? So it had to be something different. It had to be something different. And then I read this in 2 Corinthians 10.10. Paul is quoting some of his critics. He says, some say Paul's letters sound important. They are powerful. But in person, he doesn't seem like much. And what he says doesn't amount to anything. So then I thought, ah, now I've figured out this verse. Now I've figured out this verse. The reason why is because Paul was just a terrible preacher, so boring. But when he wrote, that's when the word came alive. That's when it got good. That's when we got the mature, real depth theology stuff, right? That we all want. And I thought that for some time. And I think a lot of people think that about Paul. That he must have been boring in person, really good in his writing. And I think to a certain extent, that may have been true. He was probably a much more gifted writer than a preacher. But I really don't think that's what 1 Corinthians 2.2 is about. I really don't think that's what it means. And you know, I've had this verse, like I said, stuck in my head since I was in fifth grade. Here's a bonus point. Okay? You don't have to pay any extra for this. Okay? Bonus point. If you ever get a verse of the Bible stuck in your head, leave it there. Okay? Leave it there for years and years and decades until you can figure out what it means. And that's why I've had this message that I've been working on since I was, what, 11 years old? Okay? I've been working on it all this time for you guys. That's pretty special, right? I think for the first time, maybe I can understand what he's talking about. Because I don't think it means that Paul was boring in person, that he preached the same message over and over and over and over again. I don't think it means that he was just a dull preacher. I think what it means is that there's something at the center of every other thing that he preached that makes it all work. And without it, nothing makes sense. And it's the most important thing for Paul's life, for Paul's ministry, what it should be for our ministry, my preaching, my life, and hopefully your life as well. The crux of it all. And I think that this became clearer to me uh, because of something that happened in my own life. I, I don't know if they told you about this about me, but when I was 18, I got into some trouble. I got into some trouble. You know, I had been raised in a Christian home. I had been, taught, been called to be a preacher. But yet I just kind of thought, maybe when I'm older, then I'll follow Jesus. Maybe then I'm home from college with a group of my high school buddies. We were on break, and we decided it would be a great idea to break into a warehouse and vandalize it. Now, this wasn't the first illegal thing I had ever done. This was the first time I got caught. And they sent out, like, the entire police force. I mean, there was like six cops, because they didn't know how many of us there were, but there were just three of us. And we're all 18-year-old kids, just old enough to get into real trouble. And I remember when I saw the cop and the dog, I just froze, you know. They they threw me up against the cop car, and they put me in there, and were like questioning us pretty pretty tough. I mean, pretty tough. And once they figured out there was just three of us, and we're just 18-year-olds, then they were kind of nice, and I remember vividly, sitting in the back of the cop car, handcuffed, and the police officer started to soften, and he said, so what are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> I couldn't even open my mouth to speak because I knew what God had called me to do, and I was living in sin. I was disobeying him. So I spent a freezing cold night in a holding cell. Um, they take away my sweatshirt and my socks, you know, and, your belt. And so I'm in there by myself in this holding cell. 
And I expected to receive a divine spanking. I knew it was right. I was ashamed of myself. I was a Christian. And yet I didn't receive that. In fact, I felt God's forgiveness and grace as never before. I knew right then that God loved me. That he had forgiven me. That he had grace for me right then. And it profoundly changed my life. Because I realized, I realized something that Jesus Christ and him crucified wasn't just the beginning of my faith. It's what I needed right then, and it's what I would need every day and still need every day. Because it's the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers us through his death on the cross that allows us to follow him, to grow, to become actually mature. We need that cross every single day. I didn't graduate from the gospel. We never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. This is what Tim, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, wrote. He said, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. This gospel message that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins, to offer you grace and forgiveness no matter what you've done, that is the whole part of our faith. It's not just the beginning. It's the crux of it all. It's the crux of it all. Did you notice back in verse 1? He says, When I came to you, I did not preach with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you what? The testimony about God. But he's saying the testimony about God. He's saying whenever I preach, when I talked about all these uh, divine attributes, when we talked about theology, predestination, the end times, all of that testimony... Then he says in the next verse, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's preaching all sorts of different things. In Acts chapter 20, he talks to the Ephesian church and he says, I did not hesitate to preach the whole counsel of God. Paul preached all sorts of theology, all sorts of books of the Bible, just had the Old Testament at that time. But all of it went back to this one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not just the beginning, it's the whole part of our faith. Everything flows from it or points to it. And, and I really began to understand this better as I read some of the words of Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said this, You search the scriptures, talking to the religious people, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. They point to me. And in Luke chapter 24, after he had died and risen from the dead, he was with these two men on the road to Emmaus. It says, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, the Old Testament. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the whole writings of Moses and all the prophets, seeing from the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of the Bible, at that time they just had the Old Testament, all of it was pointing forward to Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about Jesus. In 1 Peter 1.11, Peter says the same thing. He says the spirit is about the sufferings of Christ and about the glory that would follow those sufferings. It was all and is all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I want to challenge you when you read the Bible, and as I'm going to be here, you'll see this. As we go through the Bible, you'll see that it's all about Jesus. And it's all about this grace of the cross. Um, a theologian, Michael Bird said that if theology were a maze, 
Every corner and every turn would lead us to Jesus. It all points, it all leads to Jesus Christ. It's all looking forward to him or coming out of what he has done on the cross. Um, I, I could go on for a long time about this, but I just want to tell you a few things from the Old Testament about this. Starting just in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he spoke and breathed it into being. Well, we learn in John chapter 1 that that very word that God spoke was the word became flesh, Jesus Christ. He was there from the beginning. And, and as creation fell into sin, in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, they needed a redeemer, right? They needed a redeemer, Jesus Christ, to make things new and make us a new creation. How about Genesis chapter 6? This guy named Noah, this righteous man, who built this wooden contraption so that anyone who, who got on that ark would be saved from certain destruction of the flood. Doesn't that point us forward to an even more righteous man? Jesus Christ, who would go himself on a wooden contraption, the cross, so that anyone who believed in him could escape certain destruction of hell? Or, or, or what about Abraham? We hear this story about Abraham going willing to offer Isaac on the altar to sacrifice his one and only son. But he didn't. His hand was stayed by an angel and a ram appeared. But doesn't that point us forward to an even better father who offered his only begotten son, who did, in fact, perish on the cross? Or, or we could talk about Exodus. You know, the, the great Exodus, as this leader, this prophet, led the people out of slavery, through the Red Sea, and into the Promised Land. That's the story of the Exodus. Doesn't that look forward to an even better prophet, who would tell people, okay, yeah, you can leave the slavery, not of Egypt, but of sin, and of death, and you can... By believing in me, not cross through the Red Sea, but through my red blood shed on the cross, enter into the promised land of forgiveness and eternal life. All of the Old Testament has these types, figures, and shadows pointing forward to Jesus. When we see the temple, okay, Jesus says, one greater than the temple is here. When we see the high priest entering the temple, the only one who could go into the presence of God, Jesus said, I am the high priest. That's what we're told about in Hebrews. That Jesus was the one who offered the final sacrifice. And in fact, he was the final sacrifice. So we don't need these sacrifices of the Old Testament. It was all pointing forward to Jesus. All the prophets, all the writings, everything about it was pointing forward to Jesus Christ and him crucified. But it's more than that. It's more than just the Old Testament. Because all the New Testament about how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians here today, it flows from the cross. It flows from the cross. Now, you, you can see this um, in, in different instructions that we have, okay? When we're told to love, when we're told to love, we're also told that this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. The reason why we love and the way we're supposed to love flows from the cross. Or, or how about in our instructions to serve one another? In Mark 10:45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So why are we supposed to serve each other? Because Jesus served us first. How about acceptance? In Romans 15, 7, it says, Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Or forgiveness, Ephesians 4, 32, Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Our mission to go out into the world, John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are also supposed to seek joy through suffering, Hebrews 12, 2, For the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. 
Everything that we're supposed to do as Christians, how we're supposed to live our lives, how we're supposed to live our married lives, raise our kids. So when we miss that, when we're so interested in maturing and learning these different aspects of theology and, and becoming a more mature, more advanced Christian, we miss part is all of our life. It's the crux of the Bible. It's the crux of our faith. It's the crux of our... So I want to challenge you today to put the cross at the center of your life. Charles Spurgeon said that the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. If you were to do that every day, it would be the most important thing you could do. I heard this story about a judo classes, and then he got in a really bad car accident. And in the car accident, his entire um, left arm, his entire left arm was paralyzed, and then they had to amputate it. But he really wanted to keep doing judo. So as he recovered, his teacher said, fine, he's persistent. I'll keep teaching you judo. I'll keep uh, helping you learn. And, but, but you can only learn this one move. And the student was like, what? I, I want to learn all the moves. And the teacher was like, no, 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 no. Just this one move I'm going to teach you, and you're going to master it. So that finally the student said, okay. So this 10-year-old, as he's growing up, he, he continues to learn the, this one move over and over again. Over and over again, every single day, no matter how many times he asked to learn something else, the, 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 the teacher would say, no, 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 just this one thing. Well, it came time for his first tournament after his uh, accident recovery. And he was going up an opponent who was much bigger than him, much stronger, much faster, and had all his limbs. And it was clear that this young boy was outmatched. But as they began to go, they were kind of locked for a little while, and then the other guy, the opponent, just lost focus for one second. And that one move that the student had memorized, that had mastered, he used it and threw him on his back and won the match. Afterwards, people came up to the teacher and were like, what, what's going on? How, how did this happen? And he said the reason why he won was two things. He had mastered one of the most difficult moves in judo. And the second thing, the only defense against that move is by grabbing your opponent's left arm. <laughs> it was just one thing he had to do. It was simple, one thing. Get that thing down and everything else will work. In the same way, learning the gospel, applying it to our lives, is the one judo move we need to learn as Christians. Everything else flows from this one thing. So the big idea for my message today... The big idea is that the cross is the crux. The cross is the crux. It's at the center. It's the most important part of our lives, of our faith. It's the crux of it all. And the word crux in Latin literally means cross. I think sometimes we've forgotten the Latin. You know, in Latin they understood this. The cross was at the center. It was the most important thing. But we've forgotten. We've forgotten. And in fact, the definition of the word crux means the decisive or most important point at issue. I think that the cross is the decisive point, the most central point of our faith. We've got to get it right. So you may be wondering, well, you know, Matt, why did you pick this message? Well, for one, it's been something, of course, I've been working on since I was 11. Finally, I'm ready, I think. That's part of it. But, but I think the other thing is I want you to see that that's at the center of my life. And it's going to be at the center of my preaching. 
It's going to be at the center of my preaching. If you come back Tuesday night, I'll preach another message, and you can see kind of how that works. As we're, I'm going to be preaching a message on faith. But more than that, I just want you to know that you're going to get the gospel week in and week out if I'm your pastor. You're going to hear it again and again. And you're, you're going to be thinking, well, Matt, I thought we were more mature than that. I think, can't we move on to something else? But no, no, we'll get to topics like, like uh, the rapture, and we'll get to the sex, we'll get to end times, we'll get to marriage and family, these practical things and these theological things, but it all is going to flow out of the gospel. We're going to look at books of the Old Testament, and it's going to point us forward to the gospel, this cross. Because that's what is so important. And Martin Luther, he once said that the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. So I can make you this promise. I will beat the gospel into your heads again and again. Jesus Christ on the cross. We need the people he came to save rejected him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They gave him a fake trial. They beat him. They stripped him naked made him try to carry a cross up to a hill outside of the city where he was executed. And what happened on that cross was something so powerful and profound because the perfect spotless lamb, the sacrifice, was slain for us. That anyone who believes in his name can have forgiveness and grace no matter what they've done, are doing, or will do in the future. And they can live a better life, a new life, and have eternal life that stretches on to forever. That's what the cross did, and that's what the cross does for us. It's the crux of it all. Let's pray.